Hey guys, Dane here with the Dark Room Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Today's episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound. Epidemic Sound is a music platform where you can get music and sound effects for your videos. They have a large variety of in-house curated original music and sound effects to choose from, from hip hop to lo-fi beats, from transition sounds to ambience, whether you're creating vlogs, tutorials, or podcasts. It's a perfect place to get the music and the sounds you need for your videos. I have been using Epidemic Sound for years now. I cannot imagine my freelance creative life without it. So if you need music, if you need sound effects, if you want to do it legally, this is the place to be. Uh, With just one simple license, you can monetize your videos on all social online platforms. That's crazy, right? So even if you cancel your subscription, your uploaded videos will stay monetized forever. Yeah, that's like forever. Forever. It's crazy. Anyways, try it out and get one month free at share.epidemicsound.com slash darkroom. That is share.epidemicsound.com slash darkroom. One month free. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. Do a free month and, uh, and your life will change for the better. So in today's episode, we chat with creative director, educator, and content creator, Mr. Matthew Encina. Matthew is currently the chief content officer at The Future. So The Future is a design education company. You can check out his courses and content at thefuture.com, and that is future without an E. You can see his work at Matthew Encina on YouTube, on Instagram, his website, matthewencina.com. So Matthew, he's a creative and a creator himself. He comes from a design background, and you know he's an educator. He's you know talked on stage at TEDx. He has talked in you know hundreds of videos online, and uh, you know he's good at what he does. He's really really good at it. He's a great designer, and he comes from a creative director background with Blind and he's worked you know, with clients like Xbox, Adidas, even Coldplay for one of their music videos a while back called Ink and you got to check it out and it's crazy and you'll watch it and say, how is this even possible? I had a really, really good time talking to Matthew. We get into his design background. We get into the future and what he's doing you know, to educate online Currently, we get into working with clients, how he manages his productivity, and also how he works and learns and seeks information himself. So, so much good information in this one. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to it. So please enjoy this jam-packed episode with Matthew Encina. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the dark room. Thank you, uh, Matthew and Cena, for coming on and talking to me. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me. So, okay, you do a lot of things. So, content creator, educator, creative director. Those are like the bullet points to, you know, kind of show what you do right away when you see you. So, can you kind of dig in for each of those aspects? Like, talk about, you know, where you are as a content creator, uh, as a creative director, and also educator, like what that looks like in your life. Sure. Yeah, so currently I am the chief content officer at The Future, um, which is just a fancy made-up title, (laughs) so people will talk to me. But essentially what I do is I create content for uh, creative professionals to help them grow. And that's what we do as a company. We, We help empower the creative community so they can earn a living doing what they love, and that's what we love to do. 
So that's where I make content and that's where I also educate and teach as much of all the beautiful things that I've been gifted to, to learn and know over the years. And in my past life, which I don't really do anymore, is uh, I'm, I was a creative director in advertising and branding and I spent well over a decade in that space making commercials for uh, companies like Xbox and PlayStation, bands like Coldplay. So I spent a long time of my career uh, in, in that space. And now, because I'm working at the future, I've just turned the camera on myself and am teaching all those things and experiences that I've learned along the way so that um, other people can benefit from that. Nice, man. So actually, this this is cool because I didn't really understand the relationship between you, Future, and Blind, which was the agency that you were the creative director for, right? Mm-hmm. So is Future connected to Blind? Were you guys kind of, like, did Future come from Blind? Was that like a an in-house project? Yes. So uh, Blind started in 1995 by the founder, Chris Doe. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing mostly motion graphics for most of the, uh, most of the time that that company was open working in advertising and in the last few years we got into branding and about five or six years ago uh christo he started making content on youtube mm-hmm. teaching the things that he knew with his uh former partner uh jose Cab- uh, Cab- caballero it's a hard I always one. have a hard time saying his, his last <laughs> I'm hard, name yeah. I would it's the do. double l's caballero yeah so he started making uh videos back then which was uh called the school and eventually, um, they parted ways, and Chris took over that and started the future. And he loves teaching. He absolutely loves teaching. He loves mm-hmm. business, and he loves design. And um, he he just he just found his passion in that business. And one by one, he started inviting us over from blind. He's like, "Oh, I want you to teach something. I want you to teach something." Yeah. So he would get each and every one of us, and and slowly he got all of us on the channel. And as he was making this big transition uh, between blind and the future, he was very transparent about it. He was telling all of us, he's like, guys, I think this is the future for, for me, like yeah. th- for this company. I think content creation is where we're going to go. Um, I, the commercial space was fun, but I don't get a whole lot out of it anymore. And the future is the future. So um, he was very clear about that uh, over this big transition and some people left, some people went, stayed in production, went and started their own companies, went different places. And the few of us that stayed really also understood the vision that, you know, as much as commercial and advertising work is very fun, mm-hmm. uh, there's something about being able to teach something and reach a larger audience that's way more gratifying than serving one client at a time. And I think the few of us that have stayed realize this and all have found that passion within us and and have stayed to build the future. So that's how the two companies were related. They were the same people in the same building. And eventually, uh, Chris just migrated who he could over to the future. And then we hired and built out the rest of the team there. Yeah. Well, hey, he did a good job figuring out who he wanted to to come over and, and you know be a part of that process. Because when I watched you and your videos... Um, you know, especially your most recent ones, like you have it so dialed in. Like it seems like you're almost just born and like rolled over in front of a camera and were like, all right, now I can talk to a camera perfectly. But I've also heard <laughs> you talk about how you're an introvert or you were an introvert. So yeah. was this like, like what was the what was the learning curve or I guess more so 
uh, comfortability curve like for you in front of a camera? Oh yeah, that was uh, that was painful. The very first video I produced uh, for the future, I believe, was back in 2016, and uh, I remember I did probably 26 takes of the open. It was not it was not good, <laughs> and I. Once Chris invited me and I committed and I, I was making my first video, I wanted it to be perfect. I mm -hmm. wanted it to sound good. And it was none of those things because I kept stuttering. I kept forgetting what I was talking about. Then I got nervous. Then I didn't like the sound of my voice. And then I would re-record. And, you know, 26 takes later, I have one video. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that was exhausting. I don't know how you do that, Chris. This was painful. And then I put that out there. And then I got feedback. And it was good feedback. It's like, oh, wow, like I, I needed to hear this, yeah. more of this guy. And all of these comments came in and I started to realize, oh, shoot, I have something special that I could share with the rest of the world. Well, prior to that, I, I didn't believe that. I always thought I'm the behind the scenes guy. I'm good behind the camera. I'm good behind the scenes trying to make the team work and satisfy the clients. But I never thought of my guy, myself as being the person in front of the camera. So after that one video... And many videos later, <laughs> I have gotten to this point where I do feel a lot more comfortable uh, in front of camera. And I just, I, I understand who I am, flaws and all. And I've learned a lot of things that have helped me uh, feel more comfortable when that red light turns on. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it, it, it brings you so much more than just being able to, to be yourself on camera. Like it really brings you like comfortability, like you were saying, like pitching clients because the spotlight is on you for that moment. So you're kind of used to like, or you become used to, you know, being in those situations where you have to kind of be on it and you know, the eyes are on you. And I'm sure mm -hmm. there's a lot of other things too, that like being on camera can, can teach you about like life and talking to people and being comfortable and, and, um, you know, the way that your brain works and, and the way that you start to think and, in the process of creativity and productivity and all that. So it's cool to, to, you know, do that. Even if you're someone like you were, and like even I was in the very beginning of just, you know, being nervous about it. And I know that, uh, in your TEDx talk, a big, a big talking point in that was start before you're ready. And this is a perfect mm -hmm. example of it. Like you didn't feel ready. I didn't feel ready to make this podcast. I recorded like <laughs> 17 intros, 25 intros, whatever it was, the first few episodes yeah. Uh, I still don't feel ready, but at least like you, you rip the bandaid off and then you mm -hmm. just jump into it and then kind of whatever happens happens, but you, you grow from it. Yeah. I think it's important to take the first step and then take the first hundred steps and every step you take, you're just looking at how to improve a little bit better every time. Right. Right. Cause what you would, what would suck is if you did a hundred iterations and they were all exactly the same and there was zero improvement and there's zero growth you know the first step at, towards anything, you're going to suck no matter what. If you're new at something, you're going to suck. And the moment you can accept that and then take that first step and say, okay, well, that, was, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. Uh, what can I improve? What can I do better? And then you just do that every single time, reflect and improve, reflect and improve. So by the time you get to step 100, uh, you are way further away than you were at step one. Versus just taking a hundred steps in the same place, right? Instead of doing a hundred takes on the first version, and you'll never improve. So I think there's there's a there's there's something to be said about that. Where um, I, I got this from Seth Godin, where he said you should practice in public. It's worth practicing in public, like mm -hmm. putting yourself out there and doing it because you are going to suck no matter what. 
but you'll suck less every day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that the crutch a lot of times is content is so good now um, on mm-hmm. YouTube, on Instagram, um, you know, whatever it may be, documentaries, films, like the content is so good that people get scared because they feel like the first time mm. they put a piece of content out, it has to look completely polished. It has to look just as good as that. And like mm-hmm. everyone's a little tiny bit guilty of that for the, like just, just a tad because no matter what, we're going to see other people's work and we try not to judge our work based on it, but I think naturally you're just going to, you know? So to, mm-hmm. to just start, like you kind of have to get over that hurdle of, you know, my work isn't going to look as good as, you know, this top tier work that I'm trying to get in line with, but eventually it could be better, but better than that, it could be different, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of really, really what I think is the most important thing. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's great that there are people uh, ahead of you I think it's really important to have people ahead of you because that is an example, that is a role model of what you could be. And if we didn't have that, if we didn't have the first example in front of us, we wouldn't really have a clear sense of direction. So personally, I like having all of these people who are shining and just doing great stuff because they've already figured it out. They've already done the hard work and you can learn a lot from uh, the success that they've had in their own lives if you just study them. Um, so I, I think that's the beautiful thing about having people ahead of you. I think also having people, uh, a few steps behind you is also important. And one thing that I've realized, uh, making content and and teaching online is that by teaching what you know, not only do you help them, but you solidify that information for yourself. Mm -hmm. The only reason why I feel more and more comfortable speaking, um, on, content or podcasts like this is because I've had to practice articulating my thoughts over and over and over again. And you do that in writing, you do that in video, you do that in audio. And the more you practice doing that, the smarter you sound. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's not the first time that you are answering the question. You've probably answered that question a hundred times or articulated a version of that uh, many points uh, if somebody's asked you and if you've had to ask those questions yourself. Yeah, and I saw a, a recent video of yours kind of on this topic of when you were, uh, I believe you were just really trying to crack down on your writing skills, right? And you were, mm-hmm. you were doing, was it, uh, not copyright, what's the, what's the name for it? Copywork. So there's this Co- exercise okay. called copywork where yeah. um, all writers do this, or a lot of writers do this, where they would pick an author or a book that they really enjoy, and they would just open a page and copy it word for word until maybe like 20 minutes in. Then they would put that down. They have this momentum in their body already, their mind is thinking, and then they would write something themselves. So I've always wanted to get better at my writing. I did not study this at all, but it's something that I know is going to be beneficial for me to articulate my thoughts and write scripts for my content. Right. So I tried to do a year's worth of copy work. In one week. In one week. (laughs) In one week. And and that was mostly to document it for the channel, and it was so fun. Yeah. I mean, is that that how you work... when it comes to wanting to learn new skills? Like, is, do you try to crash course it? Are you that type of a learner where you say, okay, I really want to cram this all in this one designated time space in my life? Or do you like to stretch it out normally? Uh, normally, I want the answer now. I want yeah. the answer now and I want to get as competent as I can, uh, as quickly as I can. So I'll give mm-hmm. you an example right now. 
me and my wife were working on some construction projects here at home, and uh, we are building her a like a floating desk, a credenza, and storage, and all this stuff. Nice. We have zero woodworking experience, but yeah. the internet is our crash course. So we're learning as we go, and every time we have to figure something out, it's like, oh, how do you drill uh, a dowel and join two corners? There's the answer online, and we look yeah. up two or three videos, and we feel competent enough to do it. Or what tools do we need to uh, cut this down? What's the difference between a rip and a crosscut? It's like all these things I just learned in the past week from having to work on this project. And it's been fantastic. And I approach everything like that too, where if I have a curiosity, usually that's followed by a query, a question, like how would you do that? What are the three to five steps to accomplish that goal? And then I'll research online. I'll look for those good examples of the experts in the field. I'll uh, triangulate my information, looking at two or three different sources. And by that time, I usually feel good that, oh, I have a good handle on this and I could do this myself. Yeah. And, you know, a decade ago, <clears throat> right when YouTube was, you know, becoming a little bit popular, like I remember mm -hmm. kind of learning some, some, you know, photography techniques or looking things up. And then it wasn't really that normal. And I remember having conversations with people then and being like, yeah, like, why would I go to school for this when I can just learn it on YouTube? And people would be like, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? You got to go to school for it if you're going to do it, duh. Right. And we're living in this insane momentum shift of just, it's just so different. Like you were saying, where you can learn anything and everything in a split second, or at least you can find it in a split second. And mm -hmm. with coronavirus and, and what's happening now, and just for context, we're recording this in July of 2020. So we're like really still in the thick of it. You know, how important going forward do you think, you know, information uh, that you're sharing on the future or even just regular YouTube information, like how important is this world? And, you know, what, what does the future look like for online education? Right. Well, yeah, we've, we've gotten to this point where we are so information rich and yeah. that can be overwhelming and daunting. But if you learn how to learn, if you learn how to ask questions, if you learn how to think critically, if you can learn how to empathize with other people, then you can begin to sort and sift through all of that information in a meaningful way that's going to be relevant to you and possibly the audience that you might be creating for. So I think those are important skills to um, to understand where I feel like education now is mostly about understanding the information we had, where when we were younger, it's like, it's so linear. You, you get locked up in a classroom. They tell you there's a right answer. There's a wrong answer. And you read everything through textbooks. It's so concentrated. And there's only a kind of a single channel in which you might learn from. Yeah. Now you have the entire world's brain at your fingertips and you can learn from anybody from anybody. So now that imagine now you're drinking from a fire hose. Uh, how do you make sense of that? How do you get the things that you need out of that? And I think the future of education is having guides, having mentors, people to help you understand, to learn how to learn, how to ask these questions, how to think critically and guide you through the process. Because now it doesn't seem like it's as valuable to hold knowledge in your brain because you could always look that up. What's more valuable is being able to understand the information out there and make sense of it. So the future of education, I feel like, is probably having a bunch of these guides, helping people learn how to learn. Yeah. And, and I think that's where we've transitioned quite a bit over at the future, where before we were just about design uh, and business, which is the things that we knew. 
But as we grew and as we continue to grow, somebody, especially like the CEO, Chris, he's, he's a constant improver and he's a, he's a constant learner. He's a hyper learner. Every day he's reading books and he always learns new things and he's always bringing that to the table. We have psychologists and therapists that come on the channel. I'm like, what does this have to do with creativity? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it has everything to do with creativity because we as human beings are, are creative and the more we can nurture that, the more uh, better off we're going to be as a society because I think creativity is going to solve all of the biggest world's challenges, all the things that are emerging now. Creativity is going to solve that because what creatives do is connect the dots where other people don't see it. That's simply all we do. We say, oh, there's a dot here, there's a dot here. Let's combine those two things and they do it in an interesting way and solve that. And that's what designers and creatives do. And and I think we've realized that as we've grown um, as content creators, as educators, and as human beings, and we want to pass that along. And for, for me, I'm still on this journey. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm understanding in my, my, my more mature years of like who I was, who I am, and who I can be. And all of that is coming through the process of learning and iterating and growing. Yeah, that's great, man. So, you know, with someone like you who is an educator and who, you know, speaks on stage at TEDx, like someone that's that's conveying so much information all the time and 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 knowledge all the time, like where where's your uh where is your source of inspiration at? Like where are you learning from? Like what types of things inspire you? Do you read books? Um, you know, do you do audiobooks? Like, are, are there any specific types of, of ways that you, you know, gain the knowledge and information that you seek? Yeah, um, I seek my knowledge all kinds of places. So it's specific to what my output is going to be at that time. So for the past couple of years, I've been uh, trying to get better at content, at storytelling, mm-hmm. at filmmaking, all of these things. So a majority of the content I would consume is on YouTube. Uh, on TV, watching reality shows, mm-hmm. watching um, uh, uh, all of these other kind of shows and studying story structure, how people put it together, how do the personalities of the host are, and trying to take and learn and understand all of these little bits, not just watch to be entertained, but to understand why I was entertained yeah. and break down those things. So the past couple of years have been studying content pretty meticulously so that I can understand what's going to be valuable to me and the audience I'm producing for. Um, Because I'm getting into this more introspective uh, mode of myself in the past year or so where I'm starting to reflect and understand myself and my voice as a creative, now that the technical stuff is out of the way, now I can can put that aside because I feel comfortable with storytelling. Now I want to understand, well, what what do I want to say and who am I? You know, so I'm, I'm getting very existential. I have these moments where, you know, I'm just constantly thinking about all of these things. But I find my way through the thoughts of other people. So people like uh, Seth Godin and Stephen Pressfield, uh, people who write about creativity, who write about hitting writer's block and all of these things, they've already gone down this road and I'm experiencing it through them. And they've articulated their thoughts and their experiences in a way that's meaningful to me and is helping me unlock and see the things that I'm currently facing or have faced. So uh, before it was all technical stuff on the on the content side, but mm-hmm. now it's just more like emotional and, and intellect stuff, trying to understand who I am and translate that in a way that feels like it's from my voice and, and authentically me. So I'm still in the early stages of that part, but I, I feel 
like I have this voice uh, as an author and, uh, and I'm growing there. Yeah, man. I love it. And, uh, you know, in, in a recent video, I, uh, I saw you had a copy of Essentialism and I was like, oh, he gets it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, talking about Essentialism, but, but more so just productivity for you, <clears throat> I feel like, you know, especially the, the stuff that you put out online, especially with your, um, with your, your workspace and things like that, those types of videos, like you can just tell that you're an incredibly efficient person and uh, organized and, and all of that. So I kind of want to jump into, you know, how you're organized both emotionally and what that looks like and how, you know, you, you kind of, you know, keep everything in line when it comes to that and also physically, right? So workspace, day-to-day, how you wake up, um, what your day looks like. So if we can start with, you know, how you kind of organize emotionally, uh, either Mm -hmm. for the day or however you want to go into it, that would be awesome. Yeah. Emotional organization. That's the first quote. That's the first time somebody's asked me about that. And uh, that's, uh, that's interesting. I think for me, I'm a pretty uh, passive person. I'm a pretty chill person. And uh, things don't really make me upset or get me angry. I can tolerate quite a bit, but I've been one of those people who will just bottle it up. So in my history, uh, this I think this is just being around my family and, and how we uh, tend to react, not to throw them under the bus or anything, <laughs> but you know, it's like, we're, we're quite passive, you know, we'll take it on the cheek and we won't say anything. We won't say anything. And then it bottles up. And then one day, then if you really out. push my buttons, <laughs> it will, I'll turn into the Hulk and then yeah. you won't like me when I'm angry. Right. Um, and that's something that I've had to deal with because I've not, uh, I haven't always been emotionally expressive. And then when I met my wife, she's quite the opposite. She's very emotionally expressive. And uh, ever since we've gotten together, I've learned to understand that side and learn to express that part of myself a, a little bit more openly. So it doesn't bottle up, but it is coming out. And I can articulate um, how it is that I'm, I'm feeling because most of the time, with emotions, emotions, I found by studying um, like Stoic philosophy, for instance, mm-hmm. emotions can control you if you let it, right? Yeah. Um, your outcome of an experience is determined by how you react to it. So I'll give you an example. It's like I could go uh, out and buy a cup of ice cream and I'm so happy and excited and then I trip and drop it and I could be pissed off and angry like oh my gosh I waited 30 minutes for that special unique craftsman ice cream whatever it is and I could be upset and that is my experience take the same situation I drop the ice cream and I say hmm I was on a diet anyway that's 360 calories I'm saving my body that's a better off for me at least I got to go out and and experience the world (laughs) outside of isolation right now then that becomes my experience it becomes a happy one so I'm also understanding the um the ability to understand my emotion, sit with it, process it, and then decide how I'm going to react with it. And how I react is the thing that I'm constantly working on because I'm, I'm no saint. I'm, I'm not super chill and super nice all the time. Again, things will still irritate me, but I'm just trying to get better at that process so that emotions won't take over my day. Emotions won't stop me when I'm frustrated. Emotions won't <laughs> destroy my relationships if I get so angry at something, you know, and I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to regulate and monitor all of that. So I feel better now. And I think I will continue to get better as I practice this, as I practice 
understanding my emotions and what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, you, you know, you you said it perfect. Where, in a way, you're you're learning or at least practicing how to control your emotions and not letting them control you. Like it can be boiled mm-hmm. down just to that. And you know, that's something I, dude, I practice that all the time. Like even recently, like I have a client even. Like, currently now that it's just such a pain in the ass. Like you get that, you know, like you get Mm -hmm. clients that are great and, you know, love your work and everything's perfect. And then you get clients that, you know, come back with six revisions and you just Mm -hmm. can't, you can't stand it. And like, I find myself just being like, what am I doing? You know, it makes you question everything. And then what do you do all this? And I think, yeah, being able to harness your emotions in a way where you can kind of play with them. And and if, you know, you get you get angry, you kind of, you know, I, I try to sit back and just be like, all right, well, like almost like grabbing it as if it's in front of me like minority report. Like this is an emotion mm-hmm. that I'm feeling. Let me push it over here. Push it down here. Let me bring this one over here. You mm-hmm. know, I'm like Tom Cruise with a big whiteboard trying to <laughs> like move things around because it's so easy to get wrapped up in these feelings and and not only can it negatively affect your work, but, you know, people around you. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think actually um, working with clients was great for me to practice because once I became a creative director and I had to work with clients, uh, a lot of it, I, I, I'm, I'm really into service, like serving people. That, that's a big motivator for me and I want to make people happy, yeah. both a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah. Um, but what was good about that and I think what trained me is that when I worked with clients, especially difficult ones, I put the emotion aside and focus on how am I going to get the job done. It's like you gave me 10 revisions to do, but what is the intent? Because if I can understand the intent, then I might recommend a better way because that's where I I shine as an expert. If I can show you a solution that takes three steps instead of 10, all of a sudden I become more valuable and we get the job done. And uh, Chris tells me this all the time and he said it on another piece of content. He's like, would you rather be right or would you rather get the job done? And professionals get the job done. Right. All of the and I've had great examples throughout my career where I've worked with really professional people where mm-hmm. the, the client would throw something crazy at us, a crazy request last minute, Hail Mary. And the producer I would be working with or or the director I'd be working with, chill, chill as a cucumber. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I know they're asking us to do this, but uh, I think if we approach it this way, we could probably get this done by eight o'clock. It's like, oh. So you don't have to be emotional. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with people on the opposite spectrum where they're like, ah, oh, dragging their feet in. And it's like, well, here are the clients requesting this. And it's like, okay, well, is, is that a productive way to approach this? So I, I've had the experience on both ways. Again, having people ahead of me who are more senior gave me great examples as, as role models to understand how I can operate better. And that was great training. Now it's just more on a personal level. Like, how do I take that um, in all of my relationships outside of work and, and understanding and processing emotions? Um, I think that's important for all of us. Yeah. So let's dig into your your kind of day to day, and I would like I, I want to talk about the the day to day now because I feel like from an efficiency standpoint, like if you can be efficient and productive and creative, like in this. Day and age, mm-hmm. like day and age, like July 2020, uh, mid COVID in Los Angeles, uh, mm-hmm. also, which is you know even expedited a bit more. Like, what what does your day to day look like? How do you stay productive? How do you stay creative and efficient? Like right now, today, right? Well, I want to say first that I you know I'm very privileged and I'm, I'm very blessed that I I still have a job, mm-hmm. I still have the opportunities, and I have this 
opportunity to work from home with my work. And I know many people are not experiencing the same thing. So I feel very fortunate that I have this. Um, and I wanted to say that first because, you know, some people, they have it really tough and yeah. or have businesses that are heavily impacted. So I really feel for them. Um, so I wanted to acknowledge that first. But for, for me, my day-to-day definitely has shifted differently since I don't go to the office anymore. My office is in the other room. So usually I will, I don't have an alarm on my phone. I, I just wake up when my body tells me to wake up. What time is that? Usually it's around 7.30 a.m. Okay. So around 7.30, I will get up. The sun is up and I just feel excited for the day. It's like, what am I going to do? I'll go make my coffee. I'll go check a couple of things on my computer. And then sometimes I will start the day by reading. Like I just have a 30-minute block where I'll open and do some copy work. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, I'm, I'm studying uh, the, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Okay. And I'm just reading that book, studying it, writing some notes down, and then spending some time writing my own thoughts. And then most of the time, I will publish that as a Medium article since I'm still in this writing habit. And sometimes it just stays in my notebook. So now my brain is warm up. Uh, then I get into uh, uh, work stuff for the future, and that's around 10 a.m. where I'm following up on emails, checking up on the content team who everybody is remote. So I would check in on how they're doing progress of projects and then check in on my own projects and map out what it is I'm going to do for the day. So during that time, um, I have a post-it notepad right in front of me, and I write all of my to-dos uh on that post-it note. And whatever I can fit on there is the maximum amount of things I'm going to do for that day. You can fit a lot on a post-it note if you write really <laughs> tiny. I, I, that's why I, I know I write tiny, but that's why I use a marker so it's fat and will <laughs> take up more space. Yeah. So usually I cap out about like three to four things max that nice. I can do. That's a good and, number. And yeah, I, I do that because I know it's like if I'm doing 10 things, that that's not that important. Probably eight of those things are, are not that important. So I just put the big things like... Uh, write a script or revise the script or do the rough cut of an edit, something mm-hmm. like that, that I know is going to take half of my day or a third of my day. So I plan out my day on my post-it notes, and then I get to work. And then usually around 11, 11.30, um, I work out. Usually by that time, like my wife is in her mental state where she's awake and ready, and we like to work out together. Yeah, home so, workout, right? Home workout, yeah. So for about an hour, uh, we'll do some kind of calisthenic workout with bands or you know on the pull-up bars, something like that, where it's just all body weight. But I, I love it. I love having a gym partner at home. <laughs> and I've been very happy because I've been pretty consistent with that. And I'm I, based on my logs, I'm in 13 weeks of working out five to seven times a week. So I'm just like on That's it. Good. I have a log. Yeah, I have a, yeah. a log of everything. And I, I you know, prior to that, uh, when this uh, shutdown first started, my workout routine was all over the place, maybe once or twice a week, no real diet in place. But once I started logging it, once I started writing stuff down, then all of a sudden it became a habit. So I'm 13 weeks in, I've lost eight or nine pounds. Nice. You know, I feel really good and I just feel the itch to work out right in the middle of the day. So once we finish working out, we have lunch and then I go back to work probably around 2.30 p.m. So I have this like late afternoon thing. I'll make another coffee and then do another sprint of work and go into deep focus for as long as I can. And then at 5 p.m., so I'll work up until 5 p.m., I still get together with my coworkers. So when we were all meeting at the office at 5 o'clock, music would come on and we would have 5 o'clock break. 
Mm-hmm. And we do that collectively. So what I do now is I jump on my Nintendo Switch and we play Smash Brothers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> me and my coworkers, and we'll, we'll play that for like 15 minutes. And then I'll put that down so I get a little camaraderie with them. And then I continue working for as long as I can. And usually I work until like 8 and sometimes 9. No- normally I'm not, uh, or traditionally I'm not really an, a night owl where I, I work very late. But yeah. these days because of working at home, I feel like I'm stretching into the 9 p.m. and sometimes even 10 p.m. just because I'm starting to feel creative in those hours and the way that I'm breaking up my day just kind of makes more sense for that. Yeah, so when when you talk about deep focus around 2 to 3 or at least after lunch, like mm-hmm. is that is that strictly for your creative time? Now I'm going to jump into, you know, actually like getting in flow and getting in you know, my creative mindset. And then before that, so before workout and lunch, like, is that all of your, you know, client conversations, emails, phone calls? Like, do you, do you stick strict to that? Or do you ever wake up and by 10 a.m., like you're already designing something or, or working on something creative? Yeah, I think it's uh, a little bit of a hybrid approach. Like sometimes I will do one or the other, but I am, since you asked me that question, I am reflecting. And I think more of my creative time is in the second half of the day now. Yeah where a lot of the morning is a lot more juggling <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, touch and go for a lot of different things. And I think that helps me to just warm up my brain and get ready for the day or orient what I'm going to do for the day, where the second half of the day is where I am a lot more. Just let me sit down for 90 minutes at a time or, you know, 60 minutes at a time and do these blocks of work. Um, so I think upon reflection, I'm starting to be more like that, where the the deep work, the the, the focus stuff is all in the second half of the day after working out. Yeah. Well, I want to jump into uh, your like creative roots for a moment, like talk about your design and animation work, um, Mm -hmm. which by the way, you're real, at least the one that you put out a year ago. I watched something like that and it is, it doesn't even make sense to me. Like how you can, (laughs) how you can make what you make. Like, honestly, like, you know, you are, you know, so talented when it comes to to design and animation and, and you do things that, 95% 95% of the world looks at and says, I don't even know what this program is. Like, I don't know what this is. How do you do this? So can you kind of go into, uh, you know, where your roots come from when it comes to design and animation and like kind of what grab, like what pulled you towards that life? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it, uh, like I said earlier, has to do with just having good role models and examples in my life. Because if I didn't have these people and if I didn't have the experience that I had, um, I wouldn't have been able to imagine this and see this as a path for me. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I created a set of two videos on the Future Academy channel, which I don't know if you do show notes, but we can link to that there, which it shows my journey from high school all the way until now. Um, so I talk about all the big moments. But just like many people, uh, many creative people, I had creative interests starting as young as I can remember. Um, I went to a secondary uh, art school during high school. So I was part of a specialized program that you had to submit a portfolio to. I submitted a portfolio from seventh grade or nice. eighth grade and got in. Um, and I got access to digital tools. And this was in 98, 99, where I got to play with Photoshop yeah. and 3D programs for the first time in my life. And at the same time, um, I was very inspired by a lot of movies like uh, Terminator 2, mm-hmm. uh, Toy Story, all of these visual effects uh, movies and um, episodes one through three of Star Wars, even though they weren't the best, visually, like they were uh, groundbreaking for the time. And all of these things, seeing those films and then watching behind the scenes of those films, like, oh, there's people who do this. There's people whose 
um, you, uh, designing these props or doing these things in 3D, those examples made it clear in my mind that it was possible, that right. I could do something like that. Um, and then fast forward a little bit, I, I, I got a little bit more immature as I went through high school. We had a studio tour at uh, one of these facilities that does 3D animation. And I was like, yes, I get to finally see how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. And I did not like it because <laughs> when I went there and I saw this 3D animation studio, I went down to where all the animators were working and it was a hundred dudes in a blacked out room and they were all working on the same frame, like all rendering the same thing. And that killed my dream. I was yeah. like, it made it, it was so glamorous looking when Disney showed behind the scenes or Pixar showed behind the scenes. And then when I look at the reality of this, it was like, I don't want to be locked in this dungeon. Yeah. So I, I got the reality that very, very early on, and I think that killed my animation dream. So I went into, what, I was like, what else could I do as a creative person? And I heard there's this thing called graphic design. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what it was. I just knew I was decent at Photoshop. I liked <laughs> playing in Photoshop. So I chased that, and then I applied to Art Institute right after high school. I got in because all of my friends applied there. They all got in. Yeah. And, Wait, and, did you go to yeah. the Art Institute? Because that's where I went. I went, yeah, I went to the Art Institute in, in Santa Monica. Dude, me too. Oh, that's a trip. What? That's a trip. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, the one that's not there anymore. The one that's not there anymore, yeah. I went oh there between my. 2002 and 2004. <laughs> okay, I went there from 2000 and... 10 and to 2013. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little bit behind. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, wild. Okay. Yeah. We were in the same rooms. <laughs> Such <laughs> yeah. a trip. Exactly. I went there and I, I, I enrolled in the graphic design program. Yeah. And I learned a lot. It, w- it was, for me, I really understood what graphic design was. I, I found, I understood what it was as a profession mm-hmm. because I had great teachers there like uh, Nick, Matt, and, um, and Jocelyn. These were all three people among with many more who not only taught me the tools, but uh, helped encourage me to be more. Because the whole time I was going to that school, going through that program, I knew looking around that I could do more. I could do better. I wasn't ready uh, prior to that, coming being immature in high school and then going there. I just wanted to follow and hang out with my friends. And then once I understood what graphic design was as a profession, I started to see that and take that seriously. And I wanted to grow beyond, I think, the uh, the environment that I was in. Luckily, I had those instructors who told me, you know what? You seem like you're very serious about this. If you want more, consider going to Art Center because all of these teachers, they were all Art Center alumni. Mm-hmm. And I had considered it in high school, but um, in high school, again, being the immature person I was when I did a, a, a tour of the school, I thought, oh, this is too serious for me. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go there. Like this is. <laughs> I I wasn't ready. I wasn't mentally ready. But I had taken all of these steps. And after Art Institute, I just finished my associate's degree there. And I said, you know what? I'm going to stop here. Let me see if I can apply to Art Center. I spent three months putting together my portfolio. Uh, I applied, and then I got in. I got nice. in with a scholarship because it's where, a very where expensive is Art school. Center? Is that in Pasadena? That's in Pasadena. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is like one of those considered Ivy League schools of design and art. Um, but, you know, I, I, I ended up going there. I got a scholarship and that's where I met the next phase or group of people that would really inspire me. So that was a challenging school. I, I did more work there than, you know, maybe even now. It, it was very, very challenging. But I met a couple of people. Uh, one person, his name was Chris Real. 
he was my classmate. He was a TA in a motion de design class. And I had to take that in fourth term because that was part of my track. When I took that class, my mind was blown because it combined my love for animation that kind of died out in high school mm -hmm. with all the things I learned about graphic design, which is visual communication. And motion design was this beautiful blend between the two. And it was new and exciting. And when I met this guy, Chris Real, who was my TA in this um, After Effects class, I talked to him. I was like, how are you so good at this? Like, well, I didn't even know this was a thing. And he's like, actually, this is the reason why I came to Art Center. I came to Art Center because I want to become a motion designer and work in that field here in Los Angeles. And my mind was blown. My mind was open. I was like, what is this? Tell me more. Right. And after I started talking to him, um, after I started learning from him, uh, eventually we started collaborating together and started doing projects. And he opened this world for me that I didn't know even existed. And it combined so many things that I was so passionate about. And then, you know, going through that program, uh, I met Chris Doe, who is the founder of Blind and the Future. So he was my teacher back in 2006. So crazy. And yeah. So he, he taught me there. He's my favorite instructor because he really challenged me on how to think and how to convey an idea, how to how to show a story in as few images as possible. And I think that's what he was really good at. And he taught me that. I ended up taking his class maybe three times, even though <laughs> uh, you're not supposed to because it's one, one type of class. But I, I, I worked my way around it. But I wanted to learn as much as I can from this man. And you know, after that, I, I graduated, started freelancing right away. And... And yeah, and then I spent the next 10 or 12 years working in that industry as a, as a motion designer. Yeah, and then fast forward and you, you know, you're working with Coldplay, <clears throat> you're working with Xbox, you're working with, you know, the biggest brands in the world. What can you attribute your 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 success to? But more specifically, I think there's a lot of people in every creative field, but especially graphic design. And I know that, you know, you, you know, had a teacher that that later along the lines like kind of brought you in, but you still had to learn everything you learned and you had to have the skills that you have had and have had helped grow mm. along the years. Like what what can you attribute you breaking through and breaking kind of out of the uh kind of like the 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 messy middle in a way? Like how how did mm -hmm. you break out and kind of get up over over the hurdle? Yeah, I think for me, I attribute a lot of that to my genuine curiosity. And mm -hmm. I feel like most people aren't curious enough where they won't dig beneath the surface. So I don't know if I'm just naturally blessed with that or my environment have has produced that in me. Either way, I know I have a genuine curiosity, like I was mentioning at the beginning of the podcast. When I want to learn something, I will go deep. It's like, oh, woodworking? It's like, okay, <laughs> I, I know zero right now, but give me a week and yeah, I Yeah, you got a tool a belt on within like five minutes. You're ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't go into those things uh, ignorantly either. It's like I, I, I like to research whatever I do like to pursue. And that comes from curiosity, curiosity and then hard work. Um, because I think most people, uh, some people will just jump right in without doing any research and then they'll fall flat on their face and get discouraged. Yeah. Or they'll do it wrong and they'll do it wrong for a long time. Um, for me, I'm, I think I'm somewhere where it's like, okay, there's something I'm interested in. Let me learn more. Let me triangulate my information to understand the lay of the land a little bit better. And, oh, okay, 
I'm still curious about it. If I'm still curious about it, I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to take the next step. Like, what can I produce in this um, uh, profession or field or interest that's going to get me a little bit closer to making the thing that I was interested in in the first place? Right. And then keep going and then keep going because uh, uh, once you learn one thing, you'll realize that there are uh, 10 more doors in front of you to unlock. And when Mm -hmm. you unlock each of those 10 doors, there's 10 more to unlock in front of each of those. And for me, it's always been this unlocking of doors where it's like okay i could i've learned how to animate in 2d what about 3d animation okay in 3d animation what about character animation what about rendering and lighting uh what about uh the timing and the weight of animation okay uh what about effects what about visual effects yeah okay well how do you combine that with footage oh what about footage how do you how do you pick up a camera and shoot how do you know how to expose a proper frame? How do you frame something? How do you like, and then all of these things, this is my curiosity and this, I, I'm just kind of tracking through my time at Art Center in my early days as a creative professional. Those were always my curiosities and I would just follow that genuine curiosity until I had a sufficient answer that I could apply to my work. And once I applied it, it became my own. Because right. if you're familiar with, um, there's a, thing called the learning pyramid where it talks about Mm -hmm. uh, learning retention Uh, at the top of that is passive learning so lectures videos if you listen or watch or read anything you'll probably only retain five to fifteen percent of that information but at the bottom of the pyramid if you want a lot of retention you have to move into active learning which is workshops practicing and teaching if you do those things you can retain up to 90 percent of the information that you just consumed so i think because i was always this person to uh, be curious, understand, and then emulate and practice. I went through active learning for quite a bit of my career. And I've always, always done that because I w- always wanted to know how does it work and can I do that? <laughs> the way that you you know talk about curiosity and that kind of fueling how you learn and, and what you do and, and you know the, the skills that you you gain along the process, like that's also such a good way to gain self-awareness, right? Because it's... Mm-hmm. It's the question that, you know, a lot of people ask, which is like, you know, what, what am I into? What do I want to do? What do I want to do with my life if you're in high school? And mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, if you look into your curiosity and your genuine, you know, interest in certain things, you can find it. It's in there. There's mm-hmm. things that you're curious about. There's things that you look up on the internet. There's things that you like to read about that kind of, you know, get you a little more excited than, than other things. And that's, that's also a great way to, you know, kind of figure out like where you want to put all of this energy and effort. So that's, that's really great. Yeah. And I I think that's the big misconception where a lot of people think they have to find themselves out there, Mm -hmm. but you find yourself (laughs) inside. And the way you do that is by quieting the noise around you. And, you know, if you have a lot of uh, noise, meaning you're doing a lot of busy work, or you have friends who are not going in the direction that you want to, or you're having voices, external voices that are telling you, you can't do this, or this is not possible, then you're going to believe that because you hear those voices rather than your own. But the more you can tune those out, the more you can hear your own voice. And I I think a a lot of people discount that and try to look for it elsewhere. And you won't know unless you're able to to hone that in and quiet everything and and listen to your own voice. And sometimes people discover themselves when they go on some crazy backpacking trip through Asia or Europe, right? But that's because they've gotten away from the noise that that they're 
daily life has provided them, right? And they find that out there. But it's really, it's always been in them all along. They were just able to shut everything else off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, okay. And now I want to ask you and talk to you uh, about the future. Uh, not mm-hmm. not your your business, the future, the, the company, uh-huh. the future. Um, and honestly, this is a question that I don't love to ask usually because mm-hmm. I oftentimes get into the same conversation, but I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like you are a great person to talk about what you're excited for in the future when it comes to not only design and animation, um, but, you know, just kind of this like AI robot world that is is coming and it's already kind of here. And also just letting you know, I just watched Ready Player One for the first time. So that's Mm -hmm. where my head's at. (laughs) <laughs> so it's out there. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, technology is going to keep getting better, whether we like it or not. There are active people doing, you know, working on that stuff. Um, and it's going to disrupt everything. And it already has, right? If you just look at the last 10 years, all the industries that have been disrupted, like the music industry, the movie industry, like all of that has been disrupted. Um, so it's it's coming for us and it's already happening the thing is, computers can only do what we program them to do. So if we tell them, okay, I want you to do this job. I want you to move this unit to this unit. I want you to calculate this and this, right? Humans used to do that manually back in the day until computers showed up, Yeah. right? Actually, the word computers was a term for people who would compute math problems. So they were people before. Computers were people. And eventually they became machines, right? So moving forward... Any job where you're just being asked to say, take this and move it over here, that's probably a low-value job. And if you can focus your efforts on the things that are pushing your critical thinking and problem-solving and truly being creative, which is connecting the dots where no one else has, if you focus on that, I think you we all have a very exciting future ahead of us. And that's why we promote so much of this on our channel is that forget about... Forget about the tools. The tools will always change and they're going to get better. They're going to make the jobs easier. Don't focus on that. Focus on the critical thinking part. Focus on the real value you bring, which is being able to look at many things, sort through all the crap and all the noise, and then find the things that should belong together. Draw the lines where nobody else sees them and paint a picture that nobody else sees, right? It's, it, I think creativity is just like one of those uh, connect the dots kind of thing. Some people might look at that and d- d- don't see the picture, right? Creative people, they can fill it in. It's like, wow, there's something beautiful here if you just connect all the dots. And I think that's where the future is very bright if you can lean into your creativity and focus on challenging yourself to think more critical and expand your horizon. Because like I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, retaining knowledge isn't as important as being able to sort through what's out there because it's all available. So if we just learn how to learn, man, we are going to be so powerful. And I'm excited to see the next sprint and phase and evolution of who we are as creative human beings and what the world is going to look like when we can harness our energy on our creativity rather than the production. Mr. Encina, you are the man. Uh, thank you so much. You know, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you're, 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 you know, you're doing it right. And I feel like you inspire a lot of people all the time and you inspire people without even realizing it, I'm sure. So, uh, so thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for chatting with us. Thank you for, 
you know, giving us your time. It's, it's really been a good one. You're welcome. And I'm, I'm happy you were able to ask me the things you asked and, and made me think. So I really appreciate that. Can you let, uh, can you let people know how to find you and also how to find uh, the future? Sure. Yeah, you can find me on all social platforms at Matthew Encina. Uh, you can look up my work at MatthewEncina.com. If you want to learn more about the future, you can look up thefuture.com or the future is here. And that's the future without an E uh, on YouTube. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Darkroom Podcast with Matthew Encina. You can see his work at MatthewEncina.com. You can see his Instagram and YouTube at Matthew Encina. You can check out what he's doing on the future at thefuture.com. You can say hey to us at Darkroom. You can say hey to me at Dane Diener. And shout out to Epidemic Sound for this podcast. Again, if you want to do one month free trial, no strings attached, you can find that at share.epidemicsound.com slash darkroom. Get your one month free, get your music, get your sound effects, get everything you need in one place and, uh, and have a good time. All right, you guys, we appreciate you and we will see you guys next week.